one of you out today. I want you to know, love all of you. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. You're warriors. You're out here today. And we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. I hope you guys are going to get ready for it. We're not on, on the subject yet. I'm going to pray before we do. But I want you to know that, that what we, we're getting ready for some stuff. This country, this time period, you can just feel it. I want us to build an edification complex of the soul. That's going to be our bomb shelter. You know, when, when there's a war going on, and the air raid sirens go, they, they ran to the bomb shelter. You've got to have the bomb shelter in place first before the war happens, so you've got a place to go. You've got to build the bomb shelter of trust and faith in the promises and the word of God and his presence and his direction has put you where you're at so that there's, we're not dwelling in panic palace but resting in faith in the promises that he's got. So we've got to build a bomb shelter of our soul, every one of us that we crawl into, that we trust. Every time those air raid sirens goes off and the enemy's going to be uh, trying to attack the body of Christ. And so one of those things is we're going to do that today in what we're going to study. And so prepare these things. When, when the time comes and confusion sets in and problems arise, that's not the time to begin to build the bomb shelter. You'll be scurrying about everywhere and you won't get everything together. You have to do it now while there's calm, while there's peace, while we can sit here and take it in and soak it up like a sponge so that that stuff can be a part of us and it will protect us from, from not only harm but also from, from panic and fear and we will be in courage and love and a sound mind instead of being in fear because it's easy to go into that. And before we get, get ready, I want to go to our God. And, and one, of the, one of the scriptures today talks about, um, as I was studying, I came across, for I am the God who heals you in Exodus. That's Jehovah Rapha. So right now, as we prepare, I want to not only pray for us on the word of God, but for a couple of special folks that just called me in the last day or two that needs Jehovah Rapha right now, the God who heals. Um, that's Grandpa Silcox, Ron Adkinson, Joni, and Vanessa. These people in the last day have all called and, and needing our prayers. And so let's, let's go to our Father before we begin and Father in heaven, we are humbly bowed before your throne of grace and mercy, Father, and we just recognize you as our great and awesome God. And most of the time, we, we, we know you as El Shaddai, that awesome God. A lot of times, it's Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Today, we come to you in those, and we add one of Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Father, we pray for the healing of this nation. We pray to heal the division that is there, the things that are going on. We pray that the enemy will not attack us. But Father, this body of Christ that's here at New Life in this community, in this county, we've got some warriors, Father, who are hurting at this time. And and we've mentioned him, but Grandpa Silcox was taken to the hospital. And he's in bad shape. 
I've got one of your warriors that came in here, and, the, and, and Barb, she's in the back. I, I, I pray for her and her, her continued healing as well. And I, I pray, Father, for Ron, who the doctors gave him a wrong thing of his medicine. It, it sapped the strength from his legs and his body, and his muscles don't work, Father. And they've had to take him in now because he can't get up on his own. And they're going to have to do a lot of physical therapy. Pray, Father, for this warrior. Father, I pray for Joni, who, who was entangled yesterday with the dogs and, and has an injured leg. I pray for her and for Vanessa and her ongoing things. And Father, for, for all of those who are enduring and needing healing, we approach you at this time for that, Father. And also, there is many unmentioned and that are battling things and I know we put Rose up yesterday as well battling the COVID and Gerald's niece and and we've got another young man who was working there that with this family that has mother and and grandparents and and stepfather here that uh, they all need your prayers and and notified this morning of sister Jerry working in the nursing home down in Bloomington, and now it's being hit, Father, with this virus. So we've got warriors everywhere who's in the face of danger. And I pray, and this body prays to you, Father, that you will guard them, protect them, and be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you. And we pray for this, and we pray for your anointing to be upon us this day, Father. May your Holy Spirit permeate this this building and our souls and our bodies and our minds and may he open it up so that we can understand the things from your word that we're about to unfold and we pray father that they will be a source of blessing and encouragement and challenge to us as we go forward this day in jesus name we pray amen amen oh if you all want to you can turn to uh exodus chapter 17 that's where we're going to be to start off with, Exodus chapter 17. But man, hasn't it been a beautiful week? Hasn't this week just been a beautiful week? I think spring's finally here and we can finally plant the garden, right? Um, I held off because that app kept saying those temperatures that was down there below or right around frost or below freezing. So now I've got to get busy and put the rest of that stuff in there. And as that, as a way of encouragement, I would encourage each one of us to grow something. I know some have big gardens, some have small, but if you don't have anything or you don't think you have room, consider at least getting a couple of buckets and and planting a few things because I think it's going to be a good habit to get into going forward to to prepare yourself and to grow as much as we can and to be ready. And now in Exodus chapter 17, I want to bring you up to the point of where we're at right now because Exodus was all about this prophet that Jesus, um, that is a representation really of Jesus. Because he's going to say later on that one day the Lord our God is going to raise up a prophet like unto me and you shall hear him. This, this man of God, he was born in a perilous time, much more perilous than what we have because they was killing all the babies. And, and they, they was wanting him, all the male children of the Israelites... But his mama hit him and floated him out there and, and 
Pharaoh's daughter found him and he was raised into that. You remember he had to leave and he spent 40 years of preparation in the wilderness of Midian. uh, Raising goats and sheep for another guy. Then God called him to come back to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh refused in his heart, he hardened towards God and towards his word. And so there began to be a battle that went on and there was ten plagues. And you can go and run through them, the water turned to blood. And, and, and you had the frogs and you had lice and you had all kinds of different things. You had disease on the animals, you had hail. You had locusts, you had all kinds of stuff, you had boils, and then it finally came down after darkness that was so thick you could feel it. It says that it was an unnatural darkness so thick that you could feel it, and they were so afraid that they didn't move the entire time it was dark because they felt entrapped in that. But they still wouldn't open up their heart to God and let the people go, and so the death of the firstborns came. And finally, Pharaoh said, get out, go, take off. And so they set off for the wilderness. And Pharaoh sitting there in his palace a couple days later, after he let him go, he said, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? That's all of our free labor. That's, that's all the people that do. They're the essential workers that doesn't do what I want to do. They get their hands dirty and they're doing all of the hard stuff. And they were our free labor that we had as slaves. What was I thinking? Let's go and get them back. And so he goes out after him. And you remember we studied this one time. And it brought through prayers of praying those scriptures. A great deliverance for us, didn't it? Because we saw that the first big test. I want you to know that the wilderness is the place of testing. Jesus, immediately after he was baptized by John in the river Jordan. You remember what it says? That the Holy Spirit who had came and landed upon him like a dove. Immediately drove him into the wilderness to be tempted and tested of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. The wilderness is your place of testing. It's to see what you're made of. It's to see if you've got a bomb shelter in your soul that can withstand the things that's getting ready to happen. And Jesus had it. And you know what he answered every one of them with? The word of God. It is written. It is written. The bomb shelter is, it is written. And in the wilderness, you're going to be tested. And you better have a lot of it is written in your vocabulary and in your mind and your heart to be sheltered within. And so they start hidden for the wilderness. And Pharaoh now goes after him with his chariots and his army. And we talked about that, that God had led them to a place where there was mountains on the one side, mountains on the other, and the Red Sea behind them. And they had no place to go whenever that army came and bared down upon them. But you know what happened? It looked hopeless. It looked helpless. Panic set in because these were babes in Christ, so to speak. They had just had the Passover feast and learning to trust in God. And Moses went to God and the Lord said, tell them to stand still. Be calm and watch what I'm going to do. I will fight for you. And the Lord that was leading them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire went from leading them next to the Red Sea and he shifted positions and went to the front of them and began to protect them. He placed a barricade against the enemy so that they couldn't come. 
while he prepared a way for them, he parted the sea. And they went across on the dry land. The Lord provided the way out when it seemed hopeless. We rest on that promise. We've, we've studied that one and we rest upon it. It is near and dear. But did you know as soon as they crossed that and they celebrated last week, we talked about consecration and celebration. They celebrated when they crossed over and Moses began a song and they were all singing and celebrating. Miriam got the ladies together and they, they had their tambourines and, and they, were, they were singing and rejoicing and shouting. But you know what happened immediately after that? You're in the wilderness. What happened? Another test comes along, doesn't it? You realize there's three water tests in the, in the Bible right there for them? There's three. There's, the first one was too much water. The Red Sea. God handled too much water, didn't he? You know what happens next? They get three days out. Instead of having too much water, they get thirsty and there's bitter water. They get to the place of Marah and there's bitter water. They can't drink it. It's laced with all kinds of stuff. Probably arsenic, the way it sounds. So... The people's complaining, and they're complaining against Moses and against God. And so Moses goes to his knees, and he says, Lord, what are we to do? And it says that the Lord showed Moses a tree. <laughs> We've been talking about trees, too, haven't we? How that we're to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Okay, that's taking in that word of God. So here's this tree, and he says, I want you to take that tree and throw it into the, the pond there, into that lake, that, that body of water that's bitter. And when you throw that into the body of water, you know what happened? It made it sweet. It made it drinkable. So we're beginning to learn from these examples that God can handle any situation if you'll sit back and allow him to lead you and give you the guidance to get through it. So... But they don't go too far off from that. We get into the third test. So we've had too much water. We've had bitter water. What do you think the greatest test is in a desert? No water. No water. You're right. We're getting ready for a no water situation. I hope we don't face a no water situation. I hope we don't get in the wilderness and we don't have any water. That would be scary. But here's what we got to do. We got to use this example to prepare ourselves just in case we ever have to get into our own no water situation in the wilderness. No water is there. What are we going to do? How are we going to react? Well, let's see what they did in the word of God. If you're there with me in uh, Exodus chapter 17, I think this is quite fitting for today. All beginning in verse one, if you're there with me. All the congregation of the children of Israel, they journeyed from the wilderness of sin, and after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, they pitched themselves in Rephidim, and there was no water there for the people to drink. And wherefore then the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why are you chiding with me? And why are you tempting the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water and they began murmuring against Moses and they said wherefore is this that thou hast brought us out here into this wilderness out of Egypt did you do it to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst is that your plan 
Moses then began crying to the Lord and saying, What shall I do unto this people? For they be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Now, I'm going to tell you something right there. This isn't the 70s, so that's not a good thing that they're getting ready to do to him, okay? I just I want to keep us on the, on the pattern here when he's talking about that. This is something that's serious business. And he says, Behold, I will stand before you. Here's a promise of God. Whenever you're in a bad situation, not only with no water, but, but the people seem to be against you, people around us. Behold, I'm going to be there. I'm going to stand before you there upon the rock in Horeb. And what you're going to do is you're going to smite the rock, and there shall come out of it water, and that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord even among us? I want you to remember that word Meribah because that's going to be important going forward as, as we move through here. Too much water, bitter water, and now we got no water. Let's go back to verse 1 and take a closer look at what's going on here, okay? Because we need this in our souls. We need, we need to know this. This is laying the foundation of our bomb shelter, of our edification complex. How are you and I going to react whenever there's no water situation and we're in a desert facing that and we're hot, the sun is bearing down, you're tired, you're thirsty, you've got that cotton feeling in there that you can't even spit, there, you're, you're wearing down, you're getting dehydrated, and there ain't no water, and the heat is on. And people want to stone you. What are you going to do? Here we go. Verse 1 again. All the congregation of Israel uh, and the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin. And after their journey, according to the commandment of the Lord, they pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Notice that this is believers. This is believers in God. It says the whole congregation. That's like he's talking to y'all. You know, I've been having some conversations with some folks. Does the Old Testament still apply to us? We don't follow the law like Israel did. But the word of God says that everything that was written in this book aforetime was written for our learning. It is a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. And every bit of it teaches us about the character and the promises and the integrity of God and how we know He's going to react to certain things. These are written for us to learn from and apply to our life. So here He's talking to the whole congregation. This is, this is the children of Israel. And you say, how do you know? Well... Do you remember what's happened up to this point? We talked about the testings, but what else happened? Do you remember around Exodus chapter 12 that whenever they was getting ready to have before that death of the firstborn, the Lord God told them, today's going to be a special day and month for you, and you're going to honor it throughout the rest of your history, and we're going to call it the Passover. For this day, I'm going to pass over you that has the blood upon the doorposts and the lentils, but I'm going to strike all of those who do not believe in me and do not honor my word and do not place the blood across their doorpost. So every one of them that believed 
the word of God and what he was going to do put the blood across the doorpost. They offered a sacrifice with a lamb and they put the blood over their house and they were in it and they believed the word of God and, the, and God's angel of death passed over them. That was a representation of Jesus Christ. For it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 that Christ was our Passover that was sacrificed for us. John had said when the first time he saw him, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So their Passover was a representation of Jesus who is our Passover. So these are people who have believed in Jesus as they knew him, as it was revealed to them through that lamb that was going to represent that. So we have believers who were under the blood of the lamb of God. And then, whenever we talked about that miracle that they went through the Red Sea on dry ground, you know what it says in, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 about that? It says, do you not know that they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea whenever they went across in faith? We do the same thing, don't we? We're baptized into Christ now because he was the representation of the prophet that was going to come that was like him in whom you will hear. So we're talking about people like you and I. We're talking about the believers. We're talking about the congregation of God standing here before them with no water. And I want you to know something else about this situation. Look back up there at verse 1 again. What's it say in the middle of it? It says, They journeyed out from the wilderness of sin, and their journey was what? Say it loud. It was according to the commandment of the Lord. Where they were is where they were supposed to be. They were listening to what God had commanded them to do, and they were there, and so they were there by the command of God in a no-water situation in the wilderness. He had them right where he planned for them to be at that time. He said, you journey here, and you go there, and there is no water. And then it says, this is a real situation, though, folks. I don't know where you're at in life, but you might have been in a no-water situation a time or two. I have. I'm probably going to be in a couple more if I follow the commandment of God and what He tells us to do and how to live. I'm pretty sure that coming up, I'm going to find another wilderness area in a no-water situation. So this is written on how I'm supposed to react to that. This is an example. So verse 2. Wherefore the people did fall on their knees and pray and say, God, I know that I'm here by your commandment and I'm waiting to see what you're going to do. Is that what you read? <laughs> They're like me. They're like me. It says, they did chide or reeve. Or that's how the word is in the actual. It's reeve. Remember, we're going to be in Meribah. Meribah. So this is the word for that. It's for chiding. It's for contentious. It's for argument. It's for meanness so they did chide with Moses and said give us water that we may drink Moses said why are you chiding at me and why are you tempting God because what he's trying to tell them is water is what a necessity of life isn't it 
Whose responsibility is it to provide the necessities of life for his creation? God. Moses is not a water boy. He's not Gunga Dean and he doesn't have his spare canteen and he can't provide. If you look at this situation, the reality is the congregation was almost 2 million people plus their animals. You are in sand, heat, no rain clouds in sight, no water in sight, and you can't drill up water, you can't dig up water, you can't import water, you can't cry up water. You have no water. But is it Moses' responsibility to get water? That we, the water tower here in Perrigan couldn't supply two million people and their animals. How is Moses supposed to do this? But you know what? Just like with me sometimes... It's never my fault we're in this situation, is it? It's somebody else's, and i got to figure out who I'm going to blame. And so they're blaming Moses. He's the patsy. And we, Moses, why are you not getting us water? You brought us out here. No, I thought it said they were under the commandment of God. It wasn't Moses that brought them there. Moses was doing what God said for them to do. So this is God's problem. And when it's a God problem, we go to God for our answers instead of listening to everybody else because most of them are usually squawking and complaining and blaming it on somebody else. So what they should realize is and what we need to do, the example is for us to begin applying the principles of the word of God to these things, those promises. We've talked about a few of them. You cannot go through life without Romans 8.28 in your toolkit, in your bomb shelter. All things work together. It starts out, we know. So you have to know and believe. We know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. If we know that, then why are we panicking? If we know that, why are we afraid? But we do, don't we? Anyway, because we forget. We've got short-term memory loss most of the time, and we forget those things. 1 Peter 5, 7, then, if we know that, then we are to cast all our cares upon Him because of promises He cares for us. So, if I reach no water, and I know that this is really supposed to be for my good, then I need to cast that care and burden on Him and ask Him to give me directions and guidance for my life. And then Thessalonians tells us to give thanks to Him for all things that we're going through, all things. So, we follow that process. But we got a no water situation. And so I got to looking in the New Testament. Do you know where the first time the word drink comes from? That you could drink something? It's from our Lord Jesus in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking to him. And, and beginning in about verse 25 and running through verse 34. He's talking there about, hey, <clears throat> why are you worried about things? You worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what clothes you're going to put on take a look out there that's my responsibility for you i want you to look at the lilies of the field they sow not neither do they reap neither do they uh as anybody do anything for them but i tell you what solomon and all of his glory wasn't a, a clothed and arrayed like one of these do you see the birds of the air those little sparrows they don't sow or reap either, and they don't even have barns to put anything in or freezers if they could buy one. But you know what? I take care of them. So, O oh, ye of little faith, 
Why are you so worried? I'm supposed to be the one that you trust in to take care of you. So worry about today because sufficient for today is the evil thereof. Don't just, just, I'm going to get you through today and then tomorrow you worry about that day and I'll get you through that. And we're going to do this thing one day at a time, but you got to trust me. So that's the first time that drink is used and it's in the context is that's my responsibility. God is going to bring you through it. Put that in his ballpark, okay? So, verse 3 then, that's what they should have been doing, but they're chiding with Moses. And verse uh, 3 says, The people there thirsted for water. They murmured against Moses and said, This is what you've done. You've brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. They still don't get the picture, do they? I mean, really, do you think that that was Moses' whole entire concoction this time? was to, I'm going to bring them out of Egypt so that we can kill them with thirst out in the middle of the desert. Do you think that was his plan from the beginning? No, he's right there with them. That's not the plan. You don't think rational when, when you're in a panic situation, do you? When you're in a no-water situation and you aren't focused on the Word of God and the promises of God to be your bomb shelter, then pretty soon... You're, you can't think straight and you're coming up with all kinds of imaginations of what's really happening and what's going on in this world. The focus needs to shift from that to the promises of the word of God to them. So what does Moses do then whenever they say this? Moses in verse 4, he, it says he cried unto the Lord. That means he began praying. He got right down on his knees and he started praying and he started asking the Lord saying, what am I supposed to do about this people? And, and Lord, by the way, they're about ready to stone me. And I'm going to tell you, they're good with rocks. And there's, there's probably 700,000 men. And they're going to grab some big old chunks if they can find it. That's not a good situation. So he says, Lord, what am I supposed to do? This is your situation. <laughs> I'm turning it over to you. And that's what we got to do. You know, there's a, another beautiful verse of Scripture that we can apply right here if you want to write it down, Psalm 37. Psalm 37, 4 and 5 is another one to have in our arsenal to use, and it says this, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto Him and to the Lord, and he will give you those, and he will trust in him, and he will bring it to pass. I hear some action words in there of delight yourself in him, commit your way to him, and trust in him. And when we do those things, the word of God says that he gives you the desires of your heart when you've done those, and he brings it to pass. I've got to have that one in my arsenal going forward. And then the word there that says that he's going to do it means commit it to the Lord. That's the word for an army officer who would take the pack off of his enlisted guy who's too weak to bear that burden. And he sees it and, and the officer, which is unheard of, grabs that pack and puts it on his shoulder and says, Come on, brother, you're, you're, you're walking with me. I got you covered on this. That's what the Lord's saying there. When you delight yourself in me and you trust in me and you commit yourself to me, I will not let you down. You're not going to be left behind. I got your pack, I got your back, and you're coming with me. So after 
God reinforces Moses with these type of things. Verse 5 says that he said to, to Moses, Go before the people. The Lord has a sense of humor, doesn't he? These guys got big rocks, and he's over here, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And the Lord says, Go stand in front of them. You're going to make a great target. So go get in front of them, Moses. Go before the people. Take the elders with you. And there I want you to take your rod. And I want you to smite that you smote the river with. I want to take that in your hand and go. So he's a good target. He's supposed to get up there. But he's got this rod. And you know what that rod's supposed to represent? Two things. It's supposed to go to the people but to Moses as well. First to Moses, he says, take the rod that you've had from the beginning. You know, the one you smoked the river with there in Egypt. You know why? I want you to remember that I've been with you through this whole journey. You started out with that rod and Midian tended sheep. And I've took you from tending sheep to leading my children away from Pharaoh. And we conquered Pharaoh. And with that, you've not only saw me at the burning bush... But I told you to toss that rod down and it turned into a serpent. And I told you to grab the tail and it turned back into your rod. And then I told you to smite the river and it turned blood. My power, my authority, my representation, and my judgments are within that rod. And it shows that you are my man. This is the symbol that I am with you. Go in confident and courage before the people. When the people see it and he raises that rod, it's to show that this is the rod that God's been working through. So pay attention. God's getting ready to do something here. So God says, take that rod with you and go and stand before the people. And then what I want you to do is to smite that rock with it. And he says in verse 6, behold, I'm going to stand in front of you. And I'm going to be there and I want you to go to the rock. We're getting ready to get some good stuff. I want you to go to the rock in Horeb, and you're going to smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink it, do it in their sight. And Moses did all of this in the sight of the elders of Israel. I want to tell you, I've had this lesson in mind for eight years. It was eight, nine years ago that I learned this lesson. And this lesson is the one that inspired me to learn the original language of the word of God in Hebrew. Because that, this opened everything up. We're getting ready to get into it. You see, we read in all these places like rock. Well, the word for rock here is sar, T-S-A-R. There's two different words for rocks that we're going to have today. If you don't know what is being referred to from the original God-breathed language, you'll never get it. You just don't get it. It, you just think it's a rock, and he went to the rock, and he, and he used the rod. No. This rock is a special kind of rock. It's a craggy rock. It's a rough rock. It's kind of like a rock of judgment that's been judged, and it's harsh. So he says, this sar type of rock, I want you to take your rod of my judgment, and I want you to smite that, and from that rock is going to flow water for the people that they might drink and so that is a picture of God's grace in action and his mercy and so he gets up to there and and he he faces that and what I want you to know is is that rocks representing something in first Corinthians chapter 10 we we went over one of the verses a minute ago but I'm gonna go over the first four right now it says this grace came to us by his judgment upon the rock 
for you to see God has written this. Moreover, brethren. Now see, this is how the Old Testament comes all the way to the New Testament. That everything is for our learning. I would not have you to be ignorant of something. How that all of our fathers, the congregation of Israel, were under the cloud and they passed through the sea. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They did all eat of the same spiritual meat and drink of the same spiritual rock. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was what? Christ. The rock was Jesus Christ. And that rock followed them wherever they went and provided the water. He said before he left this earth, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he told us also then for us to believe in him and to be baptized. And you will be saved and you will follow me and I will teach you all of these things. And you will teach them to whoever you come across so that they will know about me. But this is the same thing. And so this rock that Moses is getting ready to strike with the rod is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was smitten for our offenses, wasn't he? And he is the water of life that gives us to drink. And we drink from him. And he is with us all the time. So there's a lot going on underneath of this, this verse right here. So he called the name of the place. It says he did that. And the water came out and the people drank. And it says that he called the name of the place Massah. Which means testing. But also Meribah there in verse 7. Meribah, Reeve, because it was the place of contention and the place where they forgot to believe in trusting God for the position that they were in. And so it was called that as a memorial for that. Now, I want you to slide with me to Numbers 20 if you're following along. If not, we got it up there, but Numbers 20. This is going to be like 39 years later. This is the new generation. Do you remember that God was angry at that generation and their unbelief? And Moses talked him into not just killing everyone right off and starting over. But he said, there's only going to be two that's going to cross over into that new Joshua and Caleb's going to the new land. Everyone else, their carcasses is going to fall in the wilderness because they believe me not. So we've got the new generation. This is 39 years later in Numbers 20. And we got all of these young ones or ones that weren't even born 39 years ago who, who are coming up. That Most of them don't never remember seeing Egypt at all. We had to get Egypt out of the mind. So now we've got Numbers 20. And the Lord again is at work leading them. And it says in verse 1 that they came, the children of Israel, even the whole congregation into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. And that's kind of a marker to tell us that the end of that generation is upon us, and we're getting ready to embark into a new generation. And verse 2, uh-oh. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. We got another no water situation, and you know what it's for? Did you learn anything the last time? Did you learn anything from your fathers throughout this 40 years that I've took care of you that I'm going to still take care of you? Have you learned anything before you cross over the Jordan to go fight the giants? I got to prepare you for the battle. I got to get you ready for what you're going to face. Do you have any faith yet? Have you learned anything? Have you built your bomb shelter? Are you ready to go face the giants when you cross over? We got no water again to see what you're made of. 
Okay, verse 2. The people chode with Moses. They're back at it, aren't they? And they spake, saying, Would to God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. That's a new one. I bet you've never heard that or never used it. Man, I wished I was dead. It had been better off if we had died out there with our fathers over these 39 years instead of facing this no water situation that I'm in. Folks, the no water is a place of testing to strengthen you for what you're going to face. And I don't like it, and I hate it, and I, I hit Panic Palace sometimes too. But when you look back, it was for your learning, and it was for your good, and it was for your strengthening. And that's why he brings you through the wilderness, so that you can learn to trust in him. And it says that they are chiding with him, and they say all of that. We'd rather have been dead. Why, verse 4, have you brought us, the congregation of the Lord, into this wilderness and our cattle that we should just die? That's kind of an echo of what their parents said, isn't it? I'm going to make a point on that here in just a minute. Why you hold them to this, okay? You get ready. Okay, so verse uh, 4. Why have you brought us up? Wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt? You got this? Austin, you ready? Listen to this. Why have you brought us here just to die? Why did you bring us out of Egypt and unto this evil place? It's no place of seed or figs or vine or pomegranate. And you didn't even bring us any water to drink. This is 40 years from Egypt. These kids probably never even seen Egypt, have they? But guess what they're thinking of? In the situation I'm in right now, I'm thinking of what? Egypt. You know why? Because my parents and my grandparents told me about some of the world that they used to live in. And it made it sound good compared to right now. You know, it's easy sometimes whenever Christians, we're going to come under fire for being Christians. And it's going to be easy to kind of say, boy, I'd be better off if I wasn't a Christian. Look, I don't see them persecuting those folks like they are me. Yeah, I'd have been better off if, if I'd have stayed back there and done what, what I heard that we used to do. They don't remember Egypt and its bondage. Why didn't the parents tell them about no straw for the bricks, the beatings on the back, the flesh pots that they really had to eat? You know what their flesh pots were? You know, peas porridge hot, peas porridge cold, peas porridge in the pot nine days old. They had flesh pots that set up over the fires and whatever they could throw in it, they did. And if they had lizards, if they had worms, whatever they could gather. Because they didn't provide them with the filet mignons of the world. So there was flesh pots. Whatever that they could put into there, it went in there and got stirred up. And it's nine days old. And I'm, I'm hungry, so I'm going to have to eat it. And that's why it's nine days old. I didn't want it on day one. They didn't learn that. What they see is figs and pomegranates and, and things that... They really didn't have an abundance of anyway. I want to tell you something, folks. The world and its delights and promises is more dangerous in the mind than it is in reality. Their enslavement in Egypt isn't as powerful as the enslavement of the mind that they've got going on here. You've got to free your mind of the things that you think and give them to Christ and focus. Your focus has to be in the right place. Why have you done this? 
They've forgotten all of the 40 years that the Lord's been taking care of them in this situation. And he's going to bring them through that. So then, we, we move on to verse uh, 6, I think it is. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of this assembly who was chiding with them again to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. In other words, they went to the church building. They went to the tabernacle of God where God was. And they went to the door and they fell on their faces. And it says, The glory of the Lord appeared there before them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it will give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, and so shalt thou give the congregation and their beasts to drink. And Moses went and took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote twice the rock, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Here's where we got a whole new situation. You know, when you listen to the words of the Lord, and, and you read them, and you hear them, you study them, when I preach, you've, you've got to understand the exact words that he's given you. Because this is a whole different situation. This is 39 years later. And I want you to see what's going on. This ain't the 39 years ago when you strike the rock. How many times was Christ smitten for our offenses? Once. He doesn't go to the cross every day. He went to the cross one time. And he said upon their telestai, which means finished. It's done. Salvation has been paid for. He only got smitten upon that cross once. Now, he's the lifted up Christ. He, he told Nicodemus, As the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And upon that, then salvation is paid for. And now, he is our high priest, and we go to him in prayer. We don't smite him anymore. We speak to the rock now. He doesn't get smote a second time. Now. The, the word for rock. Is a different word. It's selah. It's a C like celery. But it's selah. That means a high and lifted up rock. This isn't the craggy rock. Sar 39 years ago. And that's why I say. This is when I got the aha. I've got to learn this language. Because to teach it correctly. And to know it and to understand what's going on, I got to know what it really says, not what the translators put in there because it says rock in one place, rock in another, but it's sar there and selah there. That's the rock of affliction. This is the high and lifted up rock. And you don't smite the high and lifted up rock, you speak to the rock. You have respect and admiration for this rock. And the rod, look real careful. Where were they at? It says they went to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord told them, take the rod that is before me. The rod that is before me, where's that? That's in the Holy of Holies. In the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember what's in the Ark of the Covenant? Aaron's rod that budded. 
This is the rod of blessing and salvation. This is not the rod of judgment that you smote the river with. This is a different rod. So we've got a different rod and we've got a different rock going on here. And you don't hit this rock. You talk to this rock. And I want you to know the grace of God. Even though he totally messed it up. You remember why he left Egypt in the first place? When he was 40 years old, what happened? He went down and saw a, a, one of the Egyptians beating on one of the Hebrews. And what happened? Killed him, didn't he? He got angry. You see, every person has some besetting things within them. And he's worked so hard. That's, God said, there's not a more humble man now. Because he's worked so hard on taking what his weakness is and trying to make it his strength. But this one time, that weakness comes back out. Instead of speaking to the rock, he speaks to the people. And he's angry at the people right now. And so instead of speaking to the rock out of respect, he speaks to the people. His focus is in the wrong place. That's what I'm trying to get. Our focus has got to be on God and the rock and not on the people and the things that's going on. He got angry. And you rebels, you stiff-necked rebels, why I got to deal with you all the time and why do I have to fetch the water out of the rock? Man, the water out of the rock is Jesus Christ. And it comes through blessing now, not you fetching it or you smiting it. And so he smites the rock. You know, it says twice. I can tell you why. First time, nothing happened. God was trying to let him know, hey, this is an uh-oh moment, Moses. You're supposed to speak to the rock and not smite it. But he hits it again. And the second time, the water poured forth and the people drank. And that's the grace of God. Even though we mess it up and, and, and we forget and we dig ourselves in a deeper hole, God's still going to be there to deliver us, but we're also probably going to have to pay for it. He takes him aside and he says, You know what? What you did, you lost respect for me in front of the people and I'm, I'm not going to let you go into the, into the new uh, crossing of the river, into, into the new kingdom that I'm going to have over there. I'm going to let you see it. And I'm going to let you see me, my backside, when I pass by. No one else has done that. But I cannot, because of who I am, my justice and my character, I cannot now allow you guys to cross over the Jordan with it. But the grace of God provided the water anyway, I'll rock. Now, we've said all of this and used all these examples for something else. We're going to go over to the book of Hebrews, but I'm stopping in Psalm 95 on the way. I want you to hear something, how that 400 years later, we talked about how all these things are written for our learning. David, 400 years later, is going to write this Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. We are his people. We are of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice... You see, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of changing. Today is the day of building your strength. He says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as they did in the provocation. That's the word Meribah. The, the day of provoking, the day of contention. Don't harden your heart where I have led you to be as your fathers did and they tempted me, and they tried to prove me. 
uh, while they were in the wilderness and they ended up seeing my works. And 40 long years I grieved with that generation. I said in my heart, they do err and they have not known my ways. And, and I swore in my wrath that they're not going to enter into my rest. Now, wait a minute. Do you and I want to enter into that rest? And I'm not talking about salvation to heaven because I'm sure Moses is there. He didn't get to enter into the rest of the, the new land. You know What that is, it's a land filled with, with milk and honey. It's the land of blessing. What he's trying to get across is, is that when you have an edification complex, it's your bomb shelter that's made up of my words and my promises and you trust in me and walk in my ways, then you cross over into a place where you are content, where you can say like Paul that I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been imprisoned, I've, had, I've been stoned to death, I've had about everything that you can have done, but I know that I, I just place my trust in God and He's going to, to deliver me and whether I live or whether I die, if I live, it's for your all benefit. If I die, I gain, I go to see Christ. Whatever it is, I have learned in any state and, con- and place that I am to be content. Contentment in the place that you're in is the rest that God gives you in this life when you trust in his promises. So when David writes here that they didn't enter into the rest, it's not that they didn't enter into their salvation. They were believers. They had been blood-bought by that Passover lamb. They had been baptized unto Moses. You don't think that they didn't believe in God. They saw his works. They saw him lead them every day and provide the manna. He's talking about, you didn't believe in all of my promises. And therefore, you're not ever going to be happy and content. You're going to always have this contention, this Meribah going on in your soul. So with that said, let's jump another thousand years and go to Hebrews chapter 3. And I'm just going to read this as we get ready to close. Because I know it's been a long one, but I felt that you you all needed this. Hebrews chapter 3, and it's going to carry into verse 4 from verse 6, or to chapter 4 from verse 6. But I want you to listen to what he says to us here. Christ is a son over his house, we're his house, of whose house you are. If we hold fast to the confidence, you see that there? Hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of your hope, firm all the way to the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Spirit has said, now is where we're going to quote Psalm 95. Today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your heart. He's talking to us. You you see how he says, I'm talking to my house, the body of Christ. I'm talking to y'all, brethren. You, can you hear my voice today in the situation you're in? Don't harden your heart as in the Meribah, the provocation. In the day of the temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works 40 years, and I was grieved, with that generation and said they always do err in their heart and they have not known my ways so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest there's no rest in your heart if you're contentious with the world that's going on with you so take heed he says brethren you see he's talking to us that take heed brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief unbelief in those promises that I just told you that I'm going to be there in departing from the living God. And that word there for departing is the term stiff arm. 
You've seen a running back in football, how that you teach that running back whenever a tackler's coming up that you want to stiff arm him, put that old stiff arm. Butkus would go through the stiff arm, though, wouldn't he? Yeah, no stiff arm stopped Dick Butkus. But the rest of them, you hit with that stiff arm, and they go down, and, and you try to keep... God's saying, don't harden your heart against me in this situation and stiff arm me. Keep me at social distancing and keep me away from you so that I'm not with you. But no, you embrace me and you embrace my promises and I will give you rest. What did Jesus say? Take my yoke upon you for it's easy and the burden is light and I provide to you what? Rest. Peace unto your heart. So folks, going forward... This story of no water is for you and I that when we face no water situations in our life coming up, don't stiff arm God. Don't take him out of the picture, but put your focus on him and his promises instead of everything else. Because what was their big problem? If we go to the next part of the verse and we go on over to chapter 4, it says, let us therefore now, and it's talking about everything that we just talked about in chapter 3, lest... Don't fear now. Don't have fear going forward in that journey that you're on in the wilderness. Don't fear lest these promises that I'm giving to you be left behind and we fail to enter into his rest that any of you would come short of it. For unto us was this good news preached as well unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. Every time Moses told them about the, the good news of the, what God's going to do, it didn't profit them. It didn't stick. He said, don't let that happen with you because why does it not profit? It wasn't mixed with faith with them that heard it. That means you've got to hear it and believe it, and it's got to become a part of you. Anybody know off the top of their head how to make biscuits? Tell me how you make a biscuit. Okay. And then what do you do with it? What do you do first? Because I just take the flour and put it in my... Huh? Okay. There you go. What, what does that say there... Um, verse 2 the word preached to them didn't profit because it wasn't what mixed with faith a biscuit doesn't become a biscuit from flour yeast salt soda if I say I want a biscuit you don't hand me a handful of flour and say there you go wash it down it's going to be yucky no you take the ingredients you take the scriptures the promises, the examples, and you mix it with faith within you and it becomes a biscuit. It becomes your edification complex of your soul. So we've got to take these things and mix it with faith because if it stays out there as the ingredients, it's no good. It doesn't profit you anything. It has to be mixed with faith and become real to you. And that is my prayer for this body of Christ, that we begin to build biscuits, edification complexes in our soul, that we mix the word of God with faith and it becomes real and becomes our bomb shelter in the times of war when we're going to face no water situations. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for Jesus 
That rock who was afflicted, but that rock that's now our high priest. And he said, it is finished. And we thank you for salvation. We thank you for the promises of this word. And we pray that we can take all of these promises and put them in our heart and mix them there together with faith. And it will become an edification complex that protects us like a bomb shelter. But it also has upon it the cross of Christ that gives you complete honor and glory in every situation, Father. And we pray that we can all mix these together and become a strong body of Christ for you and exalt you in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's okay. We'll come up anyway. Please. 